Something is wrong. Something is wrong with me. Lizzie, I know. That's why we need to get you help. No, but I'm dying. Don't you understand? No, I'm I don't understand. But I am. I'm dying. I'm dying. It's on the inside. So don't try and understand. Why are you trying so hard to Did ruin I my life? You'll thank me later. For what? Leaving Dad? I'm trying to give you every opportunity that I can. For what? So I can become a strong, independent woman like you? Such a slightest breath And I know who I am Look at me! I'm about to have our baby! Why is that not enough for you? Of course it's enough! I'm not going anywhere, I'm here with you. I want to be alone with you. See, this is why it scares me, is because you don't take it seriously. I take it seriously. I think it's pretty, like... You have a camera in my face in the bathroom. Yeah, you look beautiful in the morning, by the way. Maybe we shouldn't have the camera. Uh, hello? Words that define And they scream it out loud Welcome to Series 3 of The Projectionist Podcast. Horror films affect us all in different ways, but fear is a universal and psychologically fascinating emotion. This season, we're talking about women in horror, dividing our exploration into themes including demons, pregnancy, the detective, the extreme, perfection, and love. We'll be discussing the portrayal of female subjectivity in horror, as well as the impact that watching them can have on us as women. Don't be scared, you're safe with us. Thank you, Sarah. We'll be in touch. All right, we're back. Hi, hi, Mary. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm just getting over a cold, so mm-hmm. I apologize for my comedy voice. I think uh, it sounds pretty normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, so here we are. We're continuing our series on women in horror. Mm-hmm. And we're calling this episode uh, Detectives. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, we name the episodes before, dear dear listeners, we name the episodes before we record them, so sometimes themes will slightly change, but I think maybe this one has a little bit. I th- no, like- I'm happy with, I, th- I like it, I like yeah. it as a theme, and I think that, uh, once again, I'm taken aback by how much the films we chose, uh, Thesis and The Ring, mm-hmm. how much they go well together. Yeah, they really do. I think this is kind of definitely, like episode, I feel like episodes belong to either one of us a little bit, like a bit Lennon McCartney. This is like a very pet subject with me, yeah. like especially women as detectives. In you know, because I'm, I mean, like I very, I really understand the mentality that would make women want to like seek and find. Mm. I also really searchers, enjoy, searchers, yeah. yeah. I also really enjoy watching women work on screen, and it's a very rare thing because that's not really what women are often for in cinema. Yeah. And I think like when you, I don't know, I really, I just really enjoy the process of looking for watching women looking for something. I think oh. it's a really nice, it's like a really nice inspiring thing. Yes. Um. So like I enjoy it for that reason, and then. I just love these two films so much. Me too. Yeah, I'm so glad that you suggested Thesis, which is the one that we're going to start off with. Mm -hmm. Because I'd not heard of that film before. I watched it on your recommendation. I love the way it looks. Yeah. I love her wardrobe. Um, I love that 90s uh, 
casual intellectual chic look me too like it's my favorite kind of intellect intellectualness is 90s intellectualness oh yes yeah and I, I like what you say as well about the kind of um the joy of watching women professionals mm-hmm. conduct their business but particularly with detectives when for the intrigue of a film there has to be some vagueness and some abstraction mm-hmm. and so sometimes they're very much at sea like yeah. they're, they're lost yeah they really are and that's kind of captivating to look at isn't it it really is and it's so different to the usual detective story i think when we were mm-hmm. talking to mike we kind of talked about occult films and them often being detective films but i think mm-hmm. often with that it's the men trying to solve the mystery of the woman yeah and that's boring to us. Yes, uh, like we know, we know it. So I really that's and um, women are not trying to solve the mystery of men. They're trying to solve. They're often trying to solve things like in their own lives, or you know, it always comes back. I think particularly Angela is like is has no idea what she's searching for. Exactly, and that's why it's such a weird film. Yeah, yeah. And then so we're going to be talking about thesis, yeah. nineteen ninety six, and the Ring, two thousand and two. Yeah. Um, but we're going to start with thesis. Let's start with thesis. Okay, shall I um, synopsize? Yes, please. Okay. Um, so this is directed by Alejandro Amenabar. Well done. Thank you. Okay, and I'm also <laughs> going to apologize. I'm going to just anglicize these names, and I feel really bad. Um, I'm going to butcher everybody's name. Yeah. Um, so, Angela is a postgrad student working on her thesis, Audiovisual Violence. She approaches fellow student Chema, who is known for having a vast collection of violent and pornographic videos, to show her some of them as material for her study. When she finds her thesis supervisor dead in the screening room, she removes the tape he was watching from the VCR and later watches it with Chema. Finding it's a filmed murder of a young woman from their university, the two set out to investigate the mystery, which leads them to the handsome, mysterious Bosco and many twists and turns. Perfect. Many, many twists and turns. Many, yeah. This film goes on. Yeah, and just when you think that you've cracked it, mm. it's like you you realise you actually were, it was a misdirection. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. a complete murder mystery. It is. In, it's that, I mean, it's almost not a horror film. Yeah. It's kind of more a film about horror. Yeah. Yeah. About our fascination to horror material, mm. which is a great subject in itself. Yeah, I think this is a lot. This is really interesting because it's kind of almost a film about the subject that we're sort of exploring over this podcast series, which is like what horror can do for you and why we're drawn to it. Why it's and effective. Why it's effective, and but also why we have to kind of like maintain this, um, this sort of like moral, like this sort of moral anger against it as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. That's so true. The thing that compels a lot of people to perform outrage, mm-hmm. just because, you know, the, what's the alternative? Like expressing uh, a real uh, captivation and interest in horror material. I sometimes get that. Like people look at me and they're like, what's wrong with you? Why mm-hmm. do you like these weird films? And that's the thing about it is that at the heart of thesis is basically snuff films yes which is like a fascinating subject because it doesn't exist no so it's like i, I really like that subject Me in general too. just because it's like we've got we've all got so fascinated with something that could it doesn't it's no. like it's pointless it could not possibly exist no sort of thing yeah and that's yeah that's so fascinating yeah i mean even me like i I remember back in the day when i when i found out about the concept of snuff films Mm -hmm. there was that remember that nicholas cage film eight millimeter it's basically he plays a detective on the hunt uh looking for the makers like this production company that makes snuff films it's completely absurd yeah at the heart of it is this business of like we find the idea of murder abhorrent, mm-hmm. let alone filmed murder. It being filmed and distributing. What does that myth say about cinema? Exactly. 
like that that idea that you know you would like murder purely for for film for no other reason like that it's like that it's like drudgery that like the like you know these like production companies are like well it's work you know and like it's it's insane that we like think people attribute that kind of power to cinema yes is that's so fascinating why are we so scared of it at first i thought that she had just like a very sort of morbid interest in watching violent films but then actually it, re- it turned out that she was kind of coming at it from a, like a, com- a conflicted place. Yeah. And she kind of does say that uh, she almost has a very moralistic stance on it, that she wants to um, use this data mm-hmm. to support a, a theory around the power of this type of content to, you know, for, for people to feel compelled to commit violence, mm-hmm. right? And But yet there's a part of her that I think secretly does enjoy the yeah. process of seeking out and watching this stuff and how she builds a kind of almost friendship with this guy who's got a stash. Well, she finds of... that completely abhorrent. Right. Yeah. And like, it's so, it's so interesting. And like, there's, there's this, it, that kind of struggle continues for her throughout the film. Yeah. That she's kind of, like, she kind of like operates on these two levels. And it almost leads me to think that the, the murder that they find, the mystery that they find is not even a real thing. No. It just feels like this woman investigating her sexuality. Exactly. To a certain extent, because she has that kind of violent dream that about Bosco, you know, that, that great like knife kissing scene. And she like there's that beautiful scene where they're watching the they're watching the snuff film and she like but she's like opening like cracked in her fingers watching this. The subject that she's interested in ends up being kind of manifested, let's say on videotape. Mm-hmm. And it overwhelms her thesis supervisor. He dies yeah. watching the very thing that she's kind of like compelled to watch. So it kind of suggests that maybe the, you know, there's something about her desire that's overflowing. It's it's too much. There's mm-hmm. an excess or like a jouissance, if you want to borrow the, the Lacanian phraseology for it. There's, there's something about it that's just too much. And the men around her can't quite contain, even the guy who has the stash of porn and violent yeah. movies, even he doesn't quite, some, there's something about her almost that even like daunts him as well. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes me feel that the 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 murders that are happening, they are like almost like an overflow of like, yeah. of this, like this, like she has to be like these two people. Like, I think it would have been brilliant if in the end she had been the murderer, you know, because like, she's like, it's almost like you have like this very, and she's called Angela, which is like this kind of very pure name. Yeah. People keep saying Stately. how beautiful she yeah. is. And she, you know, she's like, it, it really concerns me. I'm not interested. I'm not, you know, I'm not a sexual person. I'm not, um, I'm not titillated by this. I'm not interested in this. And you know, I'm just, I'm just a worker. And and it's it makes it's it's so different from the ring where it's like this ring is this woman doing her job yeah and she's really really good at it yeah but this is a woman who kind of purports to be doing her job and be really really good at it but she is getting like a mess she's involved she's like completely yeah it's there's like no it, separation there's no compartmentalization yeah nothing yeah like and she's like she's like putting herself in danger but and it's almost like she can put herself in danger because she's sort of like the most dangerous yeah she's sort of the most dangerous character there it emanates from her yeah exactly it's just like it's just around her oh. and this and you know Chema, who is like you know this like guy who's like everyone's you know whispering about how he's got all this pornography he's got all this violent <laughs> stuff and he like lives in this like black painted room and you know has this 
this sort of exterior of danger is like this really lovely yeah. you know really lovely sensitive guy and protective protective yeah. yeah you're right that's so mm. true there's a real contrast yeah there in terms of their personas and at the and actually their true natures mm. um yeah that is so true yeah um also something that occurred to me watching it is there's some great chase scenes in it you know like when she first encounters bosco mm-hmm. He's, he, he seems to be quite popular, but at the same time, there's a, there is an element of danger. There's an aura of danger on him. There's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And there's some links to him with the character that obviously has been murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially when he appears, he, he's framed in, a delib- in such a delib- deliberately threatening way. And he chases her through the school. Yeah. I have to say, that actually quite unnerved me. It is. I mean, I really love the scene where they do first kind of set him up. And yeah. you've got this, like, am- I mean, there are some amazing shots in this film. Because at first are. you're like, oh, this is so low budget. It, and then you sort of get into it and it's like, oh, my God, it's really it's well, well made. made. And there is that brilliant shot because you see the back of his head and the camera just like sort of like pans round him and he's filming someone and the camera is like watching someone and then you see and they're basing their suspicions of him on the make of this camera because that you know like it had to be you know because because Chema who's like a sort of camera geek is like well that that's a camera with a zoom and there weren't any cameras with a zoom like that year so it has to be one of these you know one of these three cameras. That was cameras. a clever plot point. It was a clever <laughs> plot point but they do some like really sort of unthorough research that really annoyed me. They were like they just like flicked through some magazines and they found oh, one yeah. camera and they're like it's this one it's this one it's like you guys are both you guys are both academics so you need to cross like cross check your references and, and double check these things rather than just but they neither of like she doesn't want to she's not really an academic no she's just she's purely in it for like the sensation and the adventure and the titillation yeah Yeah. she is a masochist she's a masochist and like all true masochists she's like the one in control Mm -hmm. the entire time she's never really in danger no but why did that scene unnerve you so much the chase scene when he does chase her because just to see her in her her so-called element where she's doing her research and this is kind of like her safe space or whatever to coin this phrase (sighs) and then to suddenly that space be revealed to have these secret elements to it like these like areas like corridors containing like weird material and like there's a secret aspect to this university Mm -hmm. and there's there's dangerous material being stored and that's kind of revealed and that is unnerving in itself following that her being chased after through through the corridors made me realize that there's something very traumatic about universities and like go enrolling and feeling like you know you're embarking on a very serious thing it's very adult you know you're going out into the world mm-hmm. you're suddenly like in this very professional space even though maybe you haven't quite done all the growing growing up you need to do to be able to take full responsibility of what you're doing mm-hmm. and then that chasing element really manifested, I guess, my anxiety about that space and how actually you're very, you're, you are still lost. Like yeah. you don't know where you are. You don't know your place in the world. You're still very vulnerable. You've just, you're just giving this facade um, that, you know, you got everything under control, but you're really, you're being, you're, you're running around, you're not sure what you're doing. And there's something threatening and, and, and potentially like harmful, uh, coming for you. I don't know. God, that's interesting. You're right though. There you is know? something very like, there is something sort of, 
about university in general, about yeah. the university and like the way that like the actual design, the actual architecture of a university that is this kind of midpoint between childhood and adulthood no matter how old you are like it's almost like you're going to university to like step out of life yeah. when I did my master's I definitely felt like that I was like I need a break from life because it's not going too well yeah I have to go back to university yeah. and it is you are like you're like it's because it's the same structure as a school yeah but it's just that it's full of grown-ups and it's a very it's a really strange place it is it's strange. really strange I mean like in a way we're all kind of playing at life all the time but yeah um there is something very playing at life about university yeah it's, so. yeah, it's like the, this in-between stage, this transitional space mm-hmm. where we suddenly have a lot of responsibilities, but essentially we're still just kids trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And I do, I did really like the topography of the film. Mm-hmm. It's always the way, whenever there's any movie about academics or these kind of thrillers to do with like intellectuals or researchers, we always find out that there's this layer of the space they occupy that is loaded with danger Mm -hmm. and that's what makes these films fantastic we always find out that there's like a secret reservoir of dark knowledge Mm -hmm. or the dark web or whatever it is you know it's true there is something in in cinema or in fiction particularly that is like the more kind of knowledge that people have like the more of this kind of like strange inhuman thing they might be doing yeah. With it, like, I don't know that they inhabit the secret space and they do, like, they have, like, cults and, like, rituals and, yeah. you know, strange, like, you know, und- basements full of snuff films and, you know, and just, like, a bit like, why? Like, why would they? Like, why would anyone? Exactly. But it's, like, you know. But it's there. It's there and it has, like, the yeah, that it has, I don't, why do we think that's there? Why does cinema think that that's there? <laughs> it's very like why are we scared of cinema and why is cinema scared of academia exactly it's, this film really catches yeah. all of that that is so true like when she walks into that screening room and she sees her professor and he's not breathing he's just sat in his chair and it's just it's just you know um he's obviously been watching something mm-hmm. it's the fact that her first instinct was to grab the tape yeah and not call for help for him that really it was, really, it was just so fucked up. And they continue with that instinct throughout the film. They don't call the police. No. They don't tell anyone what's going on. Like, they know that they're in the middle of, like, a serial, like, a serial killer investigation. Yeah. And they don't, like, they... And there's something, there is something about, like, all of the characters in the film, there's something about the girls that get murdered. Like, we kind of find out later that it's, that they've sort of got involved with what's going to happen to them because they thought that there was too much theory yeah. and they went to a directing class. You know, like, and that's, and that they're all, and they're all in this directing class, apart from Angela, who's like finding a way to get it, like, to get to real life, you know, from a different source. But it's all like about characters that are, that are like tired of the theory and they're like looking for ways to experience real life. And they're kind of all punished for looking for ways to experience real life. Apart from Chema, who is like, it seems to come from a real life perspective and just be like, he's like sort of an odd one out in their group. You know, he lives by himself, he's independent, he's like seen all of this material, but it hasn't, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't, you know, made him into a monster. And he, like, he's like a grown up. He's Mm -hmm. sort of come from the outside into this university, but everyone else is like, sort of, there's something about how they're kind of maybe a little bit polluted by the theory. They're kind of a little bit, you know, stuck there. And then when like, they try and like touch the outside world, it's like incredibly dangerous for them. Yeah. And, and it's, and that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah. I like that. It's almost as if, um, yeah, you're right. Like the, the 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 prospect of the practical knowledge 
becomes so much more um, scary mm-hmm. than, yeah, the, the, the kind of promise of just stay in this little bubble of theory and knowledge of, you know, abstract ideas mm-hmm. and nothing will hurt you. But yeah. actually it's the reverse. It is. And I actually think that is what, that's really what Angela's seeking throughout the whole film. Because, you know, for a while I was like, what is she a detective? I was like, what's she looking for? Like when I felt the first viewing, I was like, oh, she's a researcher. This is like what I like to see. The second viewing, I was like, I'm going to have to watch it again. Yeah. Third viewing, I was like, oh, she's not, she's like a like experienced junkie like she's not a researcher at all no this is like but this is like dressed up as a detective film but it's actually not it's like about someone because that's the thing i think about detectives is that and i think in in life as well i think Mm. that we like research and we seek and we like get like obsessed with true crime and we try and solve things and it's a way of like escaping from life yeah very much so like it's a way of it's, it's a, a dissociation kind of, it's a dissociation yeah. I think it's like that's why it's so addictive that people who are like into investigating but actually in a way in yeah. a way like we, we almost could have swapped these two movies around and had a thesis second yeah. because this is about a woman who thinks that she's a detective but actually discovers that she wants to live yes wow well put yeah I, like I didn't realise that until I spoke to you about it right that now that is not true it's also interesting in light of what you just said to think about how Angela lives, because she lives with her family. Yeah. And she kind of lives, in, I think, a quite sheltered life. Yeah, she does. She seems like she's old enough to be on her own, mm-hmm. actually. She might choose to live there. There, there may be a perfectly legitimate reason. It might not be I because wonder... she's scared of life. Yeah. But uh, may, but it does work that she is, that, you know, she like does have these conflicted feelings, but conflicting things about life. It does. And I agree. that she's living at home. I wonder if it's more normal for Spanish uh, students to Maybe. live at home than it is for the English students who yeah. like, regard going to university as a chance to move out even if they're going in sure. their hometown um, I think we're like a bit rare in the world of like I think English and American students are, it's I think so like, I think so I think we're unusual in that we want to live away from home when we're studying yeah and maybe, I think yeah. in Europe it's quite normal it's just a normal part of life yeah. it's maybe the fact maybe it's because her family just seems so clean cut yeah and they just seem like such like I don't know squares or something and she wants to kind of protect them from what she is looking at like when she has like she yes, doesn't really want so true. she doesn't really want to talk to them about her thesis she she's kind of ashamed them. of what she's looking she at she is I think and she, when she finds that tape you know she leaves it in the tape player and her sister almost watches it and then her sister looks for it you know or she thinks her sister's looked for it um in the room she wants like she really wants to keep her family separate and that is what makes me think that it's about sex Mm. so much because you know she like thinks her sexuality is going to harm them and i think like her love i think her love of violence her like i think it is her sexuality that's like being suppressed And like I think that's that I think it's very much a film about female sexuality. It is. Mm-hmm. I absolutely I agree. There's some those tapes. Um, they could almost be a stand-in for porn tapes. Yeah. Like, you know, the way that she frankly overreacts at the prospect of her sister watching one of them mm-hmm. and she seems so embarrassed she always wants to kind of like derail the conversation away from what she's looking at there's a lot of shame there and yeah. and actually it made me also think that thesis would be like a really good uh film in the grouping around like um maybe Lost Highway mm-hmm. with the, you know, mystery monolithic black videotape that appears on the doorstep. Yeah. And also Michael Haneke's film Hidden. Which is kind of Lost Highway. Which is kind of Lost <laughs> yeah. Highway. I, I, think, I think Michael Haneke definitely ripped out David Lynch with that, you know? So I think there's something there. Well, they're like, the and the ring. Like, and the like ring, videotape yeah. Quartet, aren't they? Yes. Like the, there is, yeah, the, the, this videotape that does like, 
there's like standing for something that's threatening and shameful absolutely and there is that sort of bit where she goes to chairman's house and he's like do you want to watch pornography and she's like no i want to watch violence yeah kind of like no i want to watch my pornography like not your pornography true but also um i just it made me feel so nostalgic for that time because we're never gonna have mystery videotapes showing up at our door there's no, no chance no. The, the most we'll have is like some we transfer link uh with an mp4 file like that's, that's not even exciting <laughs> <laughs> no it's true you know like where's that i want i want to see this the kubrickian monolithic black videotape you know uh, where I, p- I put it in, there's no label, it could be anything. Mm. And I love the way that she watches it the first time because she like she puts it in, yes. she turns down the contrast on the TV That's so there's right. no picture and there's only sound. There's only sound. Because she's like so terrified of it, she has to like take it in like in like sections. She has to like, you know, turn That's it, right. turn it and just like break it down. She almost things. has to adapt or accommodate to the various aspects yeah. before she can experience the full like throttle of the film Mm -hmm. and then when we actually see what it is she's looking at uh, so it's um a woman being beaten she's uh, tied to a chair she's being beaten pretty viciously by a man wearing is a a balaclava Mm -hmm. or not i think he he is wearing a balaclava oh i don't know yeah i think he's wearing something a balaclava he's sort of hiding his face Mm -hmm. um and she's being pretty badly beaten and there's some pretty horrific sounds obviously um and then yeah, it's it, it, it's very interesting how it kind of, uh, she ends up manifesting her fear in her real life. Mm-hmm. So that, like, the very thing that she was so terrified about in terms of watching is, in fact, in some weird way, she's sort of, like, compelled it into her own real life experience. Because she ends up very much yeah. in the exact same position but again, yeah. even, like even like the way I mean, I like something I like about this film is that she kind of saves herself. She doesn't yeah. get saved, which is nice because there is a bit, you know, she's in, and it is, you know, spoiler, Bosco who is the murderer. Bosco's she's the in murderer. his house. Yeah. You know, Chema comes to try and save her and gets knocked out, and so and she is like tied to this chair, and he says like he says these horrible little monologue about what he's going to do to her, oh, and yeah, it's like it's really, awful. it's really, it's actually the scariest bit in the film where he I just agree. says this: I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to try and do this to you. It's like very like Ameri- like reading American Psycho. Yeah. like very like cold like really scary and um but she's got a knife the whole time she cuts herself free yeah. she like so it's like almost like she doesn't go into she's like a very like she keeps herself safe like even in the like, unsafest situations mm-hmm. like she doesn't she does like because and like she has these like safety mechanisms that keep like which like kind of keep her in between this these like two states of like this kind of practical researcher and this person who wants to experience life mm. and like the knife in like is like just an upgrade on like turning down the contrast mm. like nothing's like wow. too scary that's a good way of putting it yeah she's um she's like a strange strange character yeah like, she's al- it's almost as if her knowledge of audiovisual technology is a defense against the worst that could happen. Yeah. And it's all these little defense mechanisms built up through technology that she kind of, in a way, like, she ensures that the violence stays at bay mm-hmm. to a certain degree. And and we, in a way, that's what we all do. And we go to, you know, if, if I'm going to, uh, you know, and what, I'm, what I know will be a very scary movie, uh, you know, 
that's the thing about horror films is that because of the power of suspension of disbelief, we do dissociate mm-hmm. and we do enter this world where we take everything seriously. And that's what feels like the horror element is effective because mm-hmm. we think it's happening to us. Um, and the, the business of like covering your eyes, well, that is uh, just like a little reminder to like come out of the dissociation. Mm-hmm. And she does that with technology. Like she... I like how you describe her uh, attempt to reduce like the contrast. That's just her way of trying to minimize the the horror content. And but we all do that. Yeah, we all do that. Like we, through various little defenses, we deny ourselves the real uh, pain of what we find scary. Mm-hmm. Um, by distancing ourselves from it, but that's that's what's amazing about horror is that there is this push and pull. No matter how much we still employ those little mechanisms of denial and dissociation, we still want to know what's there. We yeah. want to see that scary stuff. But some people don't want to see it at all. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely been. I've said this on previous episodes. I've definitely yeah. been one of those people. It also interests me that I feel like there is a sort of. She kind of embodies this lifestyle that I feel like I've been accused of a lot, which is that you know she's like she is like she is sheltered, as you yeah. say. She comes from like what is obviously like a middle class yeah. background, but she's interested in this stuff, and I can see where her sense of shame comes from because I get it from being like really interested in like true crime yeah. and things like that. Like I've you know, and I've got into conversations with people who don't know that I'm into it and have been like that what is this industry so, like it's exploitative it's like mm. it's ridiculous like why you know you're in this okay. like cu- like cushy like privileged position why would you be interested in like violence that's happened to other people and it's this idea that like i mean it's there's a sort of truth in it some people are like more prone to experiencing violence than other people or like more at risk of experiencing violence than other people but i do think i don't know especially being a woman in the world we're not immune to it we're not immune to far it far from it and like we're all just trying to kind of like like get it in little doses just so that we can kind of like brave the world outside and that's kind of what she's doing isn't it absolutely but it's not yeah but what's what i find interesting in what you just said is that we're it it's not just that we're trying to approach the violence the potential for violence coming from the from an external source there's also the possibility of we ourselves being capable, mm-hmm. right? Which I think this film does explore too. Like her, what's kind of unspoken, but it's always there as a little layer, like a below the surface um, of her own capacity for desiring extreme violence, mm-hmm. like as it evidenced in her like sexual fantasy, yeah. you know? Um, but there's, the, there's something there too that, um, especially as women, like we're not really socialized to come to terms with our own capacity for violence. Like, we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 some very kind of reductive, limited roles that are available to us, representations that are available available to us as women, they don't even acknowledge any capacity for violence. And in not doing that, they're not doing us any favors. It's actually a disservice because it actually leaves us with no real... Uh, learned uh, mechanism to process those feelings when they do emerge. Mm-hmm. So we're left basically wondering what the hell are we going to do with these feelings we have and these urges we have or just a curiosity, a very yeah. normal curiosity. We're not given, we're not afforded the same 
kind of like acknowledgement for for that range of feelings it's true and ironically nothing makes you feel more violent than when yeah. my curiosity about violence is shut down yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly and i say that flippantly but i really do mean it there Me is too. something about you know having like that conversation kind of shut down especially by someone who's like more powerful than yeah. you is like that makes me like furious me too yeah i really i'm really glad that you recommended this film. oh i'm really glad you enjoyed I it i wouldn't have watched it i don't know how i would have discovered it otherwise i was curious actually how you learned about it i know that they maybe discussed it quickly on evolution of horror but i'm not sure they did it on evolution of horror okay. but i think like when they were talking about wreck they mentioned yeah. thesis as like another yeah. you know spanish horror film of the same kind of because it's also like similar character like a woman who's yeah. investigating a woman who's doing her job basically mm-hmm. but i'm sure it was before that that i discovered it and i can't quite think it was it through some kind of investigation of my own like that i discovered it it might have been fear itself it might have been, i'll try and find out exactly yeah. where thesis sprang up because i found it a while ago and yeah and oh, such a, it was such a good watch Oh, you know what? It could have been... Oh, no. It could have been... I was trying to look at sort of films, horror films about technology. Oh, it might have wow. been that. I don't know. Who knows? I found it a couple of years ago through <laughs> some kind of investigation. I'm not sure. It's it, great. It, it, detective work of my own. Yeah. But yeah. It is fantastic. We'd really recommend it. I think it's quite difficult. How did you uh, get hold of it in the end? Did I, you buy and, a DVD? And, I, no, I ended up buying it on iTunes. It's on iTunes? Yeah. Oh, there yeah. you go. Amazing. And it's a really good print. Okay, um, good. So I'm happy I got it now. And uh, yeah, I was just it was just one of those things that as I was watching it, I realized, wow, this could go with so many other things that I love, you know, just alongside, sits alongside so many other great um, mystery movies. Mm-hmm. And... I, I just, I, it made me so nostalgic for those old tapes. Like, someone bought me a Secret Santa the other day. <laughs> I had a work party, work Christmas party. We had Secret Santa. I got, like, the most incredible Secret Santa gift. It was, and it, on it, it had a threat. I, like, I, it was, it was really weird. It was, wow. like, in a gift bag. And it was, and it said, on the tag, it said, Sarah, no excuses now. And, like, we were all, like, oh. looking at our presents. And I was like, guys, mine's got a threat on it. Mine's got a threat on it. What? <laughs> and I opened it, and it was a DVD of Hellraiser. Oh, my God. And a box of popcorn, a box of microwave popcorn. And I was just like, this is the most terrifying and amazing present I've ever got. Yeah. Like, who's done this? And then I suddenly remembered that it was because... I was talking to someone about the Supreme Hellraiser oh, collection, yeah. and I but I kept. Have you seen the coat? I know. Oh my god, I want that Amazing. coat so bad. And but I kept saying I was like the Supreme Eraserhead collection, and he was like, "Sorry, what?" And I was like, "Eraserhead." Like, and I, and I talked about it for ages, and he was like, "I don't think, I don't think that he's done that." And I was like, "No, no, really, like Eraserhead, you know, with the pins." Pinhead. Like, and I, yeah, and I was like, <laughs> and it's because it's the word razor. so he'd like got it for me to but i'd actually never seen hellraiser but i remember it being one of the films in the video shop that scared me so much like one of the front covers oh yeah it was just like i was like oh my god how could anyone i was like as a child i was like how could anyone like live through this i did i mean there is like a really pervasive thing that like films are going to kill you yeah you're going to be so scared that it's going to like be unbearable which is you so recover. so ironic because yeah they're like they're like the way to kind of like safely deal with all those things it's life that's going to kill you it's like your anxiety about like at your average you know day that's going to kill you but films they're going to be fine yeah <laughs> that's a good segue into the ring okay the ring that's a really good segue so we know that purists will like the japanese version 
But we have gone with Gore Verbinski because he makes everything green. Yeah, I love that. We love his filters. And Naomi Watts is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I was mentioning this to Mary before, but I I actually think it's much more interesting in terms of women women in horror, the yes. American remake. I think because I discovered recently that the Book of the Ring is a man who's an who's the investigative journalist. That's right. And I think that the I mean I can you know like the gender was sort of switched in the film, but I still think. There's not enough made of the fact that she's a woman yeah. in the Japanese film. I think like by the mm. time you get to this American version, it's like it's so much more about her as her a female character, her yeah. like her experience of like motherhood, her experience of her career, all of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know, and her place in her family. Yes, that's true. You yeah, know? I really, honestly, I really, really like. This yeah, version. that's our scalding hot take, but we prefer this one to the uh, yeah. original. <laughs> I really prefer it, like both of the greatest remakes of all time. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, we're fans. We're fans. Okay, I'm gonna do my my thing. Yeah. Uh, Rachel is an investigative journalist and single mother to a very independent son, Aiden. Kind of creepy, independent mm. son, Aiden. When her niece Katie dies in mysterious circumstances, Rachel and Aiden attend the funeral, and Rachel learns of a cursed videotape from a group of Katie's friends. Believing the tape has something to do with her death, Rachel begins to investigate, along with photographer and ineffectual baby daddy, Noah. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Gore Verbinski, he's kind of known for making those parts of the Caribbean movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's just having why I a look. Don't usually like yeah, him, but I really like the ring. I, he really did a good job, and I want to. I want to see him return to horror films to the horror genre because well, he he does it well. I think he didn't do Cure for Wellness well. Oh, that's true. You saw that. I had not. I've still I not was seen desperate that. Desperate to see that. I was like, he's made another green film. He's had another film called Green, <laughs> and uh, it's not. It's no. not good. No, maybe I don't know. Is I that think the one maybe, with your doppelgangers? Well, with my doppelganger. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. Mia God. Um, maybe I, like I'll give it another chance. Maybe it has like the potential of being a cult film. I need to see this. Potentially, I, I mean, it's quite horrifying. The horror is good, but it's just like it goes on way too long. It's a bit silly. I don't know. Oh gosh! Mm. But this, I think, remains his best film. It's safe oh, to say. Incredible film. Gets better every time I watch it. Every time I watch it, there's something new. Yeah. It's incredible. It really is, and it really does sit alongside exactly what you just said around that whole thing about the power of cinema and the, the the fear of life and death that it can strike in people, mm-hmm. especially with, um, you know, the right um, artistic direction around how things are promoted and particularly for horror films and that whole now lost culture of the video store where you walked in and you saw that artwork, the cover art, mm-hmm. and you just see things and you think, I, would ne- I could never watch that. I would die. Yeah. I yeah, literally I would die. Used to think that. Like, yeah. I would die if I watched that. What kind of person can watch that? Yeah. Exactly. And I feel like um and that's the thing. It's it's because the whole uh premise around this film is very much hinged on the urban legend that around a cursed videotape that is literally capable of killing anyone who watches it 7 mm-hmm. days later, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's no longer it's a very, very real threat. We see people dying. We see people getting threats. And we, we hear the telephone ringing. I mean, it's just so... It's so good. It's so unnerving and it's so good. I mean, it taps into that fear. And this is one, like, often we, like, choose a film and we worry that it's kind of too obscure or that yeah. people are going to have to watch it. But everyone knows the ring. Everyone knows. You watch yeah. the tape. You get a phone call. phone call says seven days. <laughs> and then you... Um, 
And then seven days later, this like wet girl climbs out of the TV. <gasps> oh my god! And you die of fright. Like that's you what people die of. Fright. You die of fright. Like, and it's like it's it's it was so perfect scary. concept. I remember us all sitting around watching the Japanese one when I was about fifteen or something. And I remember like because we'd all seen, we'd all like seen the trailer for the new one. I don't okay. think we I don't think we went to see it. And so we were like, oh, let's watch the Japanese one. And I remember her like the phone call first happening and like listening to the Japanese. And then like one of us was like, that wasn't seven days. <laughs> like that's because she like says something for a really long time in Japanese. That's right. Yeah. And we all used to call each other up and like we used to like call each other up with like numbers that they, you know like borrow someone's phone and call each other up and go seven days. <laughs> like to scare each other. It's like iconic. It's so iconic because it totally, it's so clever the way it plays on also the social culture of like slumber parties and people getting together, the way people watch movies like this, the way people watch horror movies, like there, there is that kind of pranky thing about it, which it is employing in such a clever way. Mm -hmm. And a little bit of a fact about this. So just a remake here. So the budget was a measly 48 million. It grossed $249 million. Oh, my God. So it made $200 million. This is unheard of. Yeah. I mean, it's up there um, among, like, horror movies in terms of highest grossing horror, re- you know, certainly a remake, let, let alone an original film, you everyone know? Everyone saw it and everyone's still watching it. Absolutely. Like, it's... It's, it's incredible. Yeah, it was a real like horror film phenomenon. It has also been followed by sequels. So there's the Ring 2, Rings plural. Oh, terrible film. Thesis is examining that kind of like inherent curiosity and like, like morbid uh, searching for content that you know is like toxic or bad or mm-hmm. something about it is frightening. And then this film is kind of exploiting the fear of when you do watch it, just wait and see what's going to happen to you. Like, so it is kind of in a way, it's a good order of, of, of discussion for us because the things that happen in this film. So first of all, just we, so her her niece, uh, Rachel's niece, uh, is found dead. Mm-hmm. And this has followed them you know her and her group of friends going to this cabin which again is very sexual you know like it's it's this idea that they were young they were like experimenting with their boyfriends or whatever and they went away they went away from the home and they did this I know, thing it's a bit like sorry what kind of like teenagers go to a cabin for the weekend <laughs> like they're not like 40 year old married couples no. like what are they doing that is the question in this like all the way through this movie it's like where are your parents like and the same with like rachel like rachel where are you like yeah <laughs> And the fact that they went there, and that's when this all happened, they watched this thing. And so for Rachel to go back, and she's sort of like compelled by her sister as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and told, you know, you're, you know you're, this is what you do. You ask questions. You know, can you tell me what happened to my daughter? Why she turned up dead like this? And then initially there's all these questions about were they using drugs? Like, what was going on? Because she's, like, so mangled. Her dead body is, like, so... It's disgusting. Like, it's really, really scary. It's disgusting. Because you think you're not going to see it because, like, you... Like, <laughs> in the first opening scene, you don't see it. And you're like, okay, phew, I'm not going to see it. And then suddenly you see it, like, just... without warning, like, in a flashback. And you're just... And it's sneaky and it's mean. It's like the it's like the biggest jump scare in the film. It when really you see the body. is. Oh. It's the worst jump scare. And I'm always, I'm never prepared for it because I'm always like, oh, I think I missed it. I think I missed it in the first scene and then it happens later. 
every time every time it gets me you think you just got away with yeah. it and then it just comes back well that's the thing about it yeah. right that that's exactly how this the the the, the whole premise of what we're being warned about mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 way the horror films work you know you, you watched it you think you got away scot-free but it comes back to haunt you yeah and that's what your parents say to you isn't it they're like yeah. don't watch any horror movies without sleepover because you won't you'll have nightmares you won't be able to sleep you'll have nightmares and that's like the threat it's not like the threat of like you'll be scared during the movie it's the threat of you'll be scared like in the middle of the night when everyone else is asleep and I used to hate being scared like that like it was so torturous to be like awake all night terrified that I just wouldn't put myself through it because like and that's it's like a true threat it is true it's like you might be you might think you're fine during the film but you're going to pay for it later and that's what this film is is. yeah Yeah. (laughs) yeah and so the structure of the jump scare is perfect Mm -hmm. but what really like scared the bejesus out of me is when we see basically Rachel, with, you know, who's a very good detective. Mm-hmm. And like every good detective, you know, I think works retroactively like a psychoanalyst does, yes. right? So um, recreating the scene of the crime, you know, kind of looking at all the factors just as they were when the, you know, uh, problematic uh, behaviors or whatever factors led to the crime. Mm-hmm. And so she goes and checks into this hotel, right? Or this cabin, whatever, cabin in the woods. And it's just, when she starts watching it, when I first saw um, this film and I were kind of led through the experience of this videotape and what is actually on this tape, I thought I was going to think it was cheesy and I thought I was going to be like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. I don't take it seriously. But I have to say, the content of that videotape did actually scare me. Really? Yeah. Like all this... Because it, it, at first you think it's just like a very um, cliche kind of like student-y like horror film. Because there's like maggots in there and um, weird like chopped off fingers mm-hmm. and like a ladder and like, <laughs> you know, like a weird mirror and stuff and people falling off cliffs. It's the sound design. Yeah. It is scary. It's fucked up. It's really fun. I, I'm going to actually, I will insert in this edit okay. that sound design. Yeah. And, because it just dis- disgusted me. about it now I'm like oh my god it's so scary it's awful um and the way it just abrupts abruptly finishes mm-hmm. as well just cuts off um and then she gets that phone call mm-hmm. and the sound of the telephone ringing is so sharp yeah you're right actually the whole all the sound design in it is brilliant and Naomi Watts is a very good horror actress. She's so good in yeah. it. She's amazing. And there is, like, I just love her character. I love, like, her character's kind of portrayal of, like, motherhood as well. Like, because yeah. she's, she's not that into it. But it doesn't matter. Which I really like. It's, like, yeah. it's not really a big deal that she's not into it. I mean, she does, like, somewhat get punished because her son watches the tape. But at the same time, it's, like, I don't know. I love it. I love how he, like, lays out her black dress for the funeral and, like... You know, she's just I, she she's just into her work, and that's what she's into. And she doesn't. She's unapologetic fun. about it. No, and she's like, and she's not. I love it because, you know, the idea is that she's supposed to be 
investigating this thing because her sister asked her to and because her niece is dead. But that's not why she's investigating it. She's investigating it because she's really, really interested. Yeah. And that's what I love about it so much that, like, she's just the woman who's, like, unapologetically interested in mysteries yeah. and solving and solving them. And I love the scene when she's, like, when she's watching the tape, she's, like, going to make a copy of the tape and she wants to watch it on, like, all of their, like, equipment in the newspaper mm, office. Yeah. And the way she talks to her boss and she's just like, just let me get on with it. Like, you're not going to fire me. Don't be ridiculous. And then there's a bit where she's, like, she's seen something in the tape and she, like, is like, can I stretch this or something? She, like, puts it on another machine and she stretches it. So you, like, and she's, like, that's incredible, like, that she, like, sees something, like, outside of the frame and she, like, makes information appear that didn't appear there before. Yeah. Like, that's magic. That's, like, that's incredible. That's, like, almost a miracle. Like, when you're researching... She's you like pray, an alchemist. Yeah, you pray for something like that, <laughs> to be, like, able to, like, alter the evidence that you've got to, like, get a little bit, more, like, another inch on the edge. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah, and the whole thing with the fly as yes, well. Yes, and she takes the fly off and then her nose oh starts bleeding God. and it's, like... I don't know. It's just like she's so good at her. Jo- she's so good at her job. Like only she could do this. Yes. She's kind of like where she's like, she's sort of like the ultimate detective. She's like the mm. kind of like movie detective or the TV detective or the fictional detective that we all want to be because she's so resourceful. Yeah. And then like Angela is like the um is like the rogue detective whose like life is like spiraling out of control. Do you ever watch Luther? Yeah. I can't watch Luther because it's just like yeah. why are you fucking doing that. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why are you so unprofessional and so bad at your job? And everyone's just like, Luther, we need you back on the force. It's like, no, you don't. He's like totally out of control. And every decision he makes, like gets everyone killed. Like, why would you, why would you keep putting him like back to work, let alone like back on TV? It he's makes a liability. So, he's a liability. And he was from series one. He doesn't care about people. He's Angela. He just wants to like get his kicks. He's like just into violence. Whereas like, th- why would you watch that? Why would you be admiring of a detective like that? Imagine like, a psychoanalyst like that. Exactly. And there are some like and there that are out there. Psychoanalysts out there like yeah. that. Like it's like so dangerous. Like if you like being a detective is amazing. Yeah. Being the wrong kind of detective is so dangerous for everybody. Absolutely. And Rachel's exactly the right kind of detective. She's perfect. She's perfect. And, like, she's a better detective than she is a mother, and I think that's actually a really good way to be. I think that's a really good, like, like, you know, priorities to line your life up in. And maybe she is being a detective to protect her from life a little bit, but, like, I don't know. She's amazing. She is amazing. And even when she sees that the effect of the tape is having on her life Mm -hmm. like when she realizes that her photos have gone all wonky and her her own image is distorted yeah she carries on she is an amazing force of determination and unwavering sharp like laser sharp focus on what she's doing Mm -hmm. and i really love that quality about her and actually do, do you remember the scene in the ring where she's standing out on the balcony. Yes. And she looks, it's very rear window. You know, she's looking at this like, uh, you know, close by like tower block. And she's just kind of forensically gazing upon all the like the little cells inside this tower block. And it's just, she sees in every single apartment facing someone her. Someone watching TV. Someone watching TV. And everyone's just engrossed in what they're doing. And their entire life revolves around that screen. And... She just said, it's, it's, such, it's unspoken, like there's no dialogue, but it just makes you realize how, like, everyone has been completely seduced mm-hmm. 
you know, by, by the screen and it dominates their whole life. And she, and then there is one sole person on the other side that kind of like locks, get, uh, like eye contact with her. Yeah. And they kind of have this, un, you know, unspoken understanding of what's going on, that this is so much more pervasive than just her casework. There's something else at work, something really sinister. Well, you know what? Like, we've talked about this last week when we had lunch. Like, yeah. I mean, like, there is... They, those people are kind of being, like, you know, raised by TV, in a yeah. way. Like, they're, like... Oh, like so- Someone said this. I think they did this on Switchblade Sisters oh, yeah? recently. And the g- woman who chose that said, you know, everyone's being babysat by the TV. And it's and it's true. Like, in that film, everyone is. But we were talking about this because you were recommending TV shows to me. And I was saying that I was reluctant to watch TV shows. Because yeah. I felt that TV was being, like, produced, like, a sort of, like, opiate to prevent us from being like Mm. active in like politics or life or to like basically like preventing us to fight yeah it makes us dissociate makes us dissociate because there's so many like game of thrones (laughs) episodes to watch and there's so many like the wire and there's so many like and there's like you know all the series like drop like you watch the whole thing you have to binge it you have to spend like your whole saturday doing it that's exactly what dasha says on red scare podcast too shout out to dasha and anna (laughs) i really have a strong suspicion about tv tv and social media they're like the opiates that are preventing us from taking action but like the but films and the you know things that you get on videotapes like things like they're like they're different because they're different they, like they're short enough to kind of like provoke you into action potentially and that's kind of what happens she watches this film and she spends the entire time like focused on this yeah. goal and it's very i find it very motivating to watch her like fo- i find Me too. to like they're like maybe i would put this together with legally blonde which is Ooh, my motivational yeah. film because I always, whenever I have like a big project or I'm like scared or intimidated of work in some way, yeah. like I used to watch this like just before I started university every year, yeah. which is when, you know, she like gets put down and put down yeah. and put down and she storms out of that party in a bunny suit and she goes, <laughs> I'll show you how valuable Elle Woods can be. And then she's like on the treadmill with her law books watching like the news. So amazing. It like is. people should watch that like every September, like to get like a back to school boost. <laughs> and it's the same with this. She like works it's so it's like the, they're like two ultimate like working women films. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. That is so true. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. She watches it's something very brief that she watches. She's not it doesn't um it doesn't suck her into it. Yeah. She's she's affected by it later. She's but it motivates her enough to take action, which yeah. is the exact reverse of, frankly, those vegetables across, you know, in that tower block were just, they're all in front of their TVs. They're paralyzed. Yeah. Because, like, something that's as long as that, something that yeah. is, like, structured like that, it doesn't give you the chance to kind of think about it. No. Um, it doesn't give you the chance, it doesn't give it, like, you the chance to kind of, like, watch something, stop it, and then for it to affect you later on. So it's interesting that this, like, vi- this, like, film is being, like, Wow. It's, it's like receiving all this negativity about you know being this like killer force and that you know that that is kind of how cinema is viewed sometimes like these like dangerous things that could happen in films like joker that's like what joker. people said about joker like loads of the films that we discuss <laughs> and actually they're like if anything they're kind of like guides to life yeah i don't know it's... yeah they make if anything they, they they produce debate and they produce action and mm-hmm. they they challenge thinking and they take us out of our comfort zone. Yeah. Whereas these kind of like box sets 
uh, as you say, because you don't even get to, you don't even have the autonomy of choice into opting into the next episode. It's just on automatic. Yeah. It's going to start in 30 seconds. You're literally just there passively consuming all this content. You don't have a say in it. And it, it, it takes forever to get through seasons. And then you're kind of lulled into inaction. You're not really provoked into thought. Mm-hmm. Whereas this, the danger of the horror material is that it it's spiky. It makes you, it, it pushes you outside of those little eco chambers and those little bubbles of comfort. Mm-hmm. It motivates you into thinking. And, and that's good. That that should be viewed as a good thing. Yeah. And that's why a lot of these like censor, you know, censorship campaigns often will target things like uh, horror content and rock and roll mm-hmm. and, you know, like the satanic panic and stuff, because those are the things that make you think. Yeah. <laughs> you and know? if you like think about it, really, like actually the videotape is like completely benign. It's the it's this girl. It's this little girl that's the violent force. Wow. Yeah. So actually, you know, like, it's like, that's the thing. When we're told about the ring, it's like, there's a cursed videotape, there's a videotape that kills you. Yeah. That's not true. No. There isn't. And actually, the videotape is actually full of all of the material that's going to save them. Like, you know, it's got all the clues. Like, it's just that no one's ever looked at it as, like, at, they, no one's ever looked at it, like, in a professional, criti- with a critical eye before. Like, or a forensic one. Or a forensic one. And she's trained to look at, like, things forensically and to, like, seek out the evidence and to wow. seek out the clues. And so just because it happens to be in her hands, like this, like this videotape is actually not evil. Like it's not actually a cursed no. videotape. It's just always been in the wrong hands. Like it's always been like watched wrongly, you know, like oh. it's always been like watched by people trying to get their kicks, trying to, you know, but it's actually, she like looks at it and reads it and interprets, and interprets it. it. And that's kind of, so maybe like the whole wow. film is just a lesson into how to like consume oh cinema. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So in other words, you're not doomed by your trauma. You've just been reading it wrong all these years. Like inherent in every single person's trauma and the thing that we think we're cursed by and give us all this affliction and all these symptoms, actually by re-examining it and recreating the, you know, all the forces that led us to have that traumatized reaction, Mm -hmm all the factors, if all of those are in place, again, if we re-examine those and with a critical, dispassionate, compartmentalized, compartmentalized way, yeah. we can actually arrive at very practical solutions of how to be better, like get, get better, feel better, and not be completely entranced or feel cursed by what happened to us. Mm-hmm. And therein lies the capacity for a really good analyst, just like a really good detective who guides you through all those things mm-hmm. and like forces you to look at scary stuff, but also empowers you with the tools to, to to kind of reconstruct a more positive narrative for yourself. And that could be part of your story. It's so inspiring. Oh my God, it is. I really like that. Except unfortunately, if you look at some, is she called Samara? Yeah, Samara. As the patient, yeah. Samara does not wish to let go of her trauma. No. And so she has this like person who like takes her through, you know, who like goes through every little like so facet of her trauma with a fine tooth comb and like revisits all of it. And then in the end, you know, she thinks like, she thinks she's like cured this little girl. She thinks that she's like exercised all these yeah. demons. Samara doesn't care whether she's like whether like she's helped or not she doesn't care whether she's rescued or not she just wants to like perpetuate the same cycle again and again and again that's so true so it's like it's kind of like about like it's a a, cautionary tale it's a cautionary tale about like a really good psychoanalyst who just has a really impossible patient or a (laughs) it's not a right fit 
it's like she so doesn't true. need that and like i don't know that's what makes it so that's what's like makes it a horror movie it makes it so tragic it's like yeah. person who um who can't be helped which is like which really like makes your your reading of it much more depressing and i'm sorry about that no but it but, is true it is a it's a good warning message in, inside the film in many ways that is the real drama of mental illness is the fact that we've for those of us who um if we re-experience the same symptoms all the time the, the repetition at the heart of that and the returning of the trauma felt in a very negative, scary way. Unfortunately, that is the death drive. You know, mm-hmm. that is the part of us that we, we're, we're left feeling incapable of actually gaining anything beneficial from what happened to us. We're just in that cycle of feeling like oppressed by what happened to us constantly. Mm-hmm. Um because I, I was thinking also theoretically about the ring and there's obviously a primal scene element to it like seeing you know the the connotation of seeing what you're not supposed to see yeah. like you're peeking at something secret that's not meant for you but here you are and you're transgressing that boundary and suddenly you're opening up this pandora's box of knowledge that will come back to haunt you right but I couldn't help but think of there's some there's some fantastic like moments of how Naomi Watts is filmed watching this material as well. Like she's really close to the TV screen and then there's obviously the iconic ring symbol and everything. Mm-hmm. I was reminded a little bit of the mirror stage, like a Lacanian mirror stage about how uh, developmentally when a baby recognizes itself in the mirror and understands that that image is, is in fact them, that's a very reassuring mm-hmm. phase for the baby because their internal life is a chaos and to, to actually see reflected back to them uh, a, a perfectly contoured baby that doesn't reflect their inner chaos, this actually seems to be like a pretty well put together image, it's, it's reassuring and that's why selfies are reassuring and it's the same way you know like we feel awful but if you take a good selfie with a good filter you put it out there it's like the world sees this nice picture it's Mm -hmm. not our the the hellscape that is our internal life but the ring is taking that theory and it's inverting it because the material she sees the horror element in that video is like a black mirror of all our worst fears so it actually produces the the reverse effect of what a mirror should do for us uh it doesn't reflect back anything positive Mm -hmm. it just shows us the nightmare that we never thought could be realized and now it's happening to us so when she takes those pictures like on her digital camera are her images blurred Mm -hmm. i think that's one of the reasons why the ring became such a international success because i believe the mirror stage is I think a valid theoretical construct across cultures Mm -hmm. and when you take something so sacred as your image reproduced but in a scary way um there's there's it's hard hitting yeah a lot of people can relate because that's our worst nightmare to look in the mirror and you don't recognize yourself but you see all your worst qualities or your worst nightmares reflected back to you or even if it's not a reflective device just something that is mirror like Mm -hmm. what people say about you or how you're described the signifiers attached to you so i like that it's kind of playing on that mirror stage but it's inverting it it's making it you know this horror content is the worst of us you know and that's a good thing to process i think you know the the horror medium gives us a platform to look at that scary stuff and i don't really see that 
in many other genres, you know? Um, so yeah, I like it. That's interesting because I've always, the thing that I've always really liked about The Ring is like a very, quite a small moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that I'm very into women vomiting. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that I've, I, um, I mean, there's a lot, like, this film is actually a very, like, slow burn in terms of, like, releasing information. Like, you don't actually learn that Noah's the father of Aiden until about midway through the film. You know, you just think, yeah. you don't think they have anything to do with each other. Um, but I also, the thing I also really like is that she's onto this, she's onto this, like, mystery. Mm-hmm. But no one else believes her for, again, until about midway through the film. Yeah. And I like. I think that often, like women, like there's actually a moment where she's like on the phone trying to, like, convince her sister to look after Aiden while she like goes on this, you know, and, yeah. she, and she's like, and she's been previously trying to convince Noah that there is that there's something with this videotape, and he doesn't believe her, and he like dismisses her, dismisses her worries. Oh yeah. And then she like throws up this what is it like he- rope or hair or string oh, yeah. or something like that. It's just after this that she wakes up and Aiden's watched the tape. That's right. And Noah calls her and says, I believe you. Wow, that is so true. And I, I do think there is something about, there is also something about women vomiting in horror films that is like to, like, to push through a truth that they previously, as that's previously fallen on deaf, deaf ears. Yeah. You see what I mean? Like there's... They've been gaslighted before and they've had to suppress all this stuff. Exactly. And then, like, um... it's like, if, okay, if you don't like it in words, I'm going to give it to you in something, like, much more foul and much yeah. more, like, abject. Oh, my God. I think it's, like, I, like you know, there's something about, there's, like, Jennifer's body, it happens, like, she throws up all of this, like, black bile, stuff. Bile, yeah. And, but previously, like, she's been saying a lot of bile. Like, uh... she's, like, got a very foul mouth. Yeah, like, she she's has, very, like, yeah. But like I don't know, like and I don't know. There's I can't. I haven't like, quite like, oh, like formulated this theory before. But there is something about like words not really working or like not being taken seriously enough when they're coming out of women's mouths or like something like women's what women are saying not lining up with their appearance yeah. or um, you know like or like women kind of keeping a lie to themselves or something like that. But it does all often like it often all comes out in vomit of some kind. It often comes out of their mouth in like a way that is sort of grotesque. And I do think that's, that's, I don't know, there is something kind of, there's like a little bit of connection with this, like, this, like, image of yourself being, you know, distorted. And then also, like, not being able to communicate, like, some, not being able to communicate something really bad. Like, mm. there's, like, there's, like, this film doesn't rely on people telling each other things or, like, people believing other things. It, like, relies on communicating the worst in alternative ways. Wow. So like that, those images are like these. You know, this little girl isn't. This little girl isn't being listened to. No, she's not being like respected. So she like communicates these things. Kind of, she communicates things telepathically. She makes other people have like terrible visions and see awful things. And then she puts these terrible visions on a videotape because no one's listening to her. So I think in a way, it's kind of like the failure of it's like the failure of discourse. And then like, but in the and especially for women, the failure of discourse for women. And them having to find like an alternative way to communicate. Wow! Yeah, absolutely. And actually, now that you just said that, it makes me think that the significance of the well and the little girl coming out of the well—that's very like similar to the process of vomiting too. Like this thing coming out of an esophagus, and it's got all this hair. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's very similar. It is very similar. 
Well, you know what? I was actually reading some of my old dreams yeah. uh, on Tumblr because I put all of my dreams on Tumblr when I when they're like good enough when they've got like enough of a narrative structure for me to remember them. Like yeah. I put them on Tumblr, and I was reading through, and I read one that said, um, that said like I can't remember, but it was like had something coming out of a well, and I I'd written down. Like something comes out of a well and I have reason to believe that the well is my vagina because of an impression I did earlier this week. <laughs> I, what was the impression? My impression was that I was talking about a vibrator and I was like, it's so loud. Like we were like talking about how loud vibrators were and I was like, mm-hmm. you, you like put them on and they're like, ah! And then you put them like inside yourself and they're like, ah! Which is like, but that's like the impression that people do of like falling down a well. So I'd like got it mixed up in my head that's and then so I dreamed funny. about well and I was like based on my impression I have reason to believe that I dreamed about my vagina and I'd like yeah but it's true like wells definitely are like symbolic of something like a little bit abject like you know you don't know how far they go down and if you go and if you go in them you never come out again yeah and you get trapped you get trapped like it's like popular cultures like full of like children down the well yeah like you know and that's often like you know in like the Simpsons Bart Simpson gets trapped down a well because he's (laughs) trying to do something bad like he's trying to like lie he's trying to perpetuate like an urban legend he's like trying to fool everyone and he gets punished by going down this well I don't know there's some kind of connection wells vomiting discourse like you know symbols as an alternative to discourse like you know like but if you ignore if you like don't find a place for women in discourse Mm. they will find like an alternative and probably less nice way to communicate yeah and they'll yeah. swap signifiers they'll swap and signifiers and you won't like the no. second signifier you it's much better to just listen to what they're saying than like push them to like find a like a signifier that you're going to be scared of absolutely absolutely yeah no that, that that's really well put and i think that actually it's it's so true because that is the way that people die watching this video is a fright mm-hmm. As you say, just to reiterate your earlier point, it's not that the videotape is cursed, it's that the message you're going to be confronted with because you didn't, because of a series, a history of not being incapable of processing the original message, mm-hmm. the, 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 the new, let's say, warped message that has had to be constructed out of desperation, is that'll be too frightening. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think that is the... Um, for sure, something that we that any person who feel, who's who's felt they've been dispossessed and then gaslighted and then told to calm down will agree with that. You know that they're um, the set of signifiers that they have been pushed to rely on now. Uh, a lot of people it'll produce a lot of discomfort in people, mm-hmm. and they don't like it. But it's too bad. I mean, they've kind of you know um, they've been forced into that position. Um, which makes me think that actually, th- I have to say for this reason that this remake is superior to the original because I don't feel like the original really emphasized that. No, not at all. And I think that is why, like, and that is why Rachel is the like ultimate detective slash psychoanalyst yeah. because she's like has this ability to read signifiers that aren't that aren't verbal. No, she has this like ability to take to take things just as like clues as evidence to like you know it's like her dispassion actually that makes her that you know it's her dispassion and her like kind of opting out of a conversation Mm. that is that makes her so powerful and she does opt out of a lot of things like and she's like she does opt out of conversation she's very rude to her boss she like doesn't really communicate with her son like or pay him very much attention no but it's that it's because she is like decided to kind of like live on this other plane where she just like focuses 
I don't know. I think she's. Uh, I know. I just keep going on about her, but I think she's a lesson to us all. I agree. She's, like she's the perfect woman. I love her. I love her too. She really is that type of actor who is able to represent the detective so perfectly because she was great in Mulholland Drive. Yeah. And did you ever see? Um, it is actually a TV show, but I think it didn't get. Uh, Gypsy. Green- Gypsy. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've heard like because she's good. a psychoanalyst. She's a that. psychoanalyst, yeah. but she, she does a bit of the. Deta- she's yeah. I won't say too much, but it is it. There is a kind of weird like link between psychoanalysis and detective in that too. And that would actually of- be like a good chapter in a book, like Naomi Watts, the Naomi yes. Watts detective, like because she is and like she's and she embodies all these because like Mulholland Drive, she's kind of like a self-soothing detective, like yeah. she's really the embodiment of someone that's like chosen to be a detective instead of to face up to reality. She's doing it because like something terrible's happened and she wants to like rewrite. She's like a she's like a revisionist history detective. Ooh, she wants yeah. to like rewrite history, yeah. like you know, and like paint herself as like hero, and then. And then I guess I don't know about Gypsy, but maybe that's like a whole other thing. Oh still. my god! It I really like Gypsy, and I was very sad that it didn't get another series. I'm not because now I can watch yeah, it. Yeah, that's like you know now that it's not like going to take up you know, years of my life. Like I'm very glad. I'm like I you know cancel like send me all the cancelled series. Like I want to like I want it to leave me wanting. I don't want to just like die of a surfeit of content. Like, <laughs> Like that guy in Seven that has to eat all of the food. That's what Netflix is doing to us. I know. (laughs) Oh, wow. I I really like what we said about uh, these two films. Me too. I look forward to continuing. Next time. Next time. But before we go, Mm. our usual um, thank you to our latest donors. So we want to thank Graham Blunt. Yes. Michael Waters. Ian Healy. Um, Anthony, is it Cascada? Cas- yeah. Yeah. And Sophie O'Brien. Thank you so much. Just, you guys are amazing. You are, like, have already changed our lives. Yeah. And the, your generosity means that we can continue researching new series, buying better equipment, producing more content for you. And uh, it just means the world to us. It's such a vote of confidence. Really we love is. you. It's very nice to have your work appreciated. Financially. Yeah, absolutely. It's a big show of respect. Thank you so much. And as always, uh, I know that we put you through hell and back with our film choices, but always remember that we are looking out for you. We want the best for you. You're safe with us. You're safe with us. And uh, keep on sharing your fantastic feedback with us too. Cool. Okay. Bye. Bye.